Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On this episode of the podcast, I interview the independent musical duo Drowning Dog and Malatesta, who weave themes of anarchism, class solidarity, and resistance into the fusion of electronic and hip-hop music. I hope you enjoy the show. Solidarity forever! that we all had in preparation for the show in which we talked about necessary illusions and the works of Noam Chomsky. So I'm just going to let this conversation breathe before we kicked off the show. Hope you enjoy. Helped me understand shit a lot, you know, understand the world a lot in a digestible way. Like, even though he's academic, like, I could understand him. Do you know what I mean? Like, he... He did it in a way. Yeah, okay. He's my inspiration. He's my inspiration. He kind of radicalized me. He got me into politics, philosophy. Um, yeah. you know, I'm a professional in that kind of stuff, but in my free time, I like to study philosophy, current events, the news media, uh-huh. just the illusions that, uh, you know, maybe I didn't, I wasn't aware of before kind yeah. of going and finding his work. Yeah. yeah, and how how important it is, and that even the delicate subtleties that we don't even, aren't aware of but it's everywhere and how important it is because really it's held by a string, you know, it is, um, blah, blah, blah. All right. Yeah. (laughs) One of his, uh, one of my favorite quotes that he has is, uh, the general population doesn't know what's happening, happening to them. And it doesn't even know that it doesn't know. I love that quote because it's like, spins my mind a little bit. You got to think about it, you know? Yeah, and how how it can still take over you, even though you're trying to be aware, and you'll be like, "Oh shit, is that what's happening? Is that like in real time? You know, uh, I'm getting upset over something. I don't even need to be blah blah blah." But yeah, yeah. that's sure. good. All right, good deal. Here we go. You ready? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Welcome to the podcast, Drowning Dog and Malatesta. They are an electronic rap duo. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having us. What are you doing, Lang? Thank you. So you're coming to us, I'm down here in South Texas, uh, but you're coming to us live from uh, Berlin, is that your home base? As at the moment, yeah. yeah. That, that is correct. And did I see uh, you also spent some time in the States, San Francisco, is that uh, your other home base, your home away from home? It used to be, uh, it's been some time now, uh, we used to live in San Francisco for quite some time. But like a lot of people, we got priced out of that city. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's hard. I had a friend, um, I don't know too much about German culture, but I had a friend 
Um, he did, I don't know, a couple months working abroad. I've never been to Germany, but I heard like really good unions. Um, they take care of workers there, certainly much better than the United States um, social programs and, and that sort of thing. And there's definitely like kind of a, a working class consciousness that I think is certainly absent um, here in the United States. I mean, the, the ruling class in, in the United States tries to divide us and conquer us with necessary illusions, you know, culture war stuff try to distract us, keep us in fighting and trying to maybe not get us to come together and realize that, you know, we're being dominated by the 99%. Um, what do you think about the, you know, the state of Germany, German culture, working class solidarity uh, there is, do you notice it a lot more than, than the United States? And, you know, do, do you like living there? Are you, are you guys lifelong residents or what? Um. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely different from the States. There's definitely more consciousness. There's a different history, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the big reasons why we moved here, I guess, is because, but it's changing. I've got to say it is changing, and it's changing fast, and a big influence is the States. Um, yeah, because people here, the powerful people that are not down with union or are would love it to be like the u.s you know what i mean they would love it to be like that i think um i would say a lot of yeah france germany italy i mean more healthcare, more union more you know what i'm saying of course uh but these people are fighting for to keep that that consciousness you know for sure uh what can I say, though? Um, but for different reasons, you know, there's a different history. It's a different context. So why, pe how people got there, it's different. You know, it's Europe. It's a different thing, right? So, like, to analyze why they have it and why the U.S. doesn't, it's, you're going to use a lot of time. Like, that's a big discussion, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not, why they have that, I don't know. Yeah. How did they get it? You know, obviously they fought like fuck for it, but I'm saying the context is different than the U.S. Do you know what I'm saying? From the from the get, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's people better <laughs> to explain why that is, you know, but, you know, for sure it's different. And anytime, we, for years we'd come over and do tours in Europe. And for an art perspective or music perspective, we were like, fuck, you know, there was a lot more opportunity to play at places and this and that. So also in that sense, there's more, you know what I'm saying? Not just in unions, but also in the art world too. Like there was more opportunity. Yeah, that was one of the main reasons why we came here was because of that. We, we lived in Italy for, for a few years and then we decided to come to Germany. Basically, we would play here a lot and um, got involved with different groups and stuff and it just seemed to make a lot of sense to come here. At that point, I think the U.S. is definitely the the model for the international capitalists. You know, you want a divided working class. You want to absolutely smash up unions. The unions uh, and the working history in the United States was very violent. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. When the uh, the Homestead strike. When that happened, they brought in the Pinkerton, which was a private security forces to just shoot uh -huh. steel workers who were just yeah. looking for, you know, better wages, safety standards. Uh, they didn't want a 12 hour working day. Uh, and that's how the, the capitalists, you know, the Frick and Andrew Carnegie, the robber barons of the Gilded Age, they came up and smashed up that labor union. And there's examples all throughout the United States. Um, history, and then what also you do is, um, you know, you you dismantle um, social safety nets in the welfare state, like 
social programs like social security, public transportation, public education, because uh, the ruling class, they don't take the subway, you know, they don't take the bus, they don't send their kids to public schools. So, you know, things like Uh social security, it's irrelevant to the ruling class. They're not going to notice a couple thousand bucks at the end of the month in their, in their, uh, you know, loaded bank accounts. Mm. Yeah. Also, I mean, you might say in the U.S. you have different people pushing more like smash and grab capital. Like we don't care about tomorrow. Get it now. Get it was hot. Fuck tomorrow. (laughs) Whereas maybe in Europe they do a different thing. You know what I'm saying? Can be just as fucked up. They'll say, well, how do we keep this for a long term for the next 25 years getting the money from the worker? You understand? So we're calmly over 25 years we'll get that money. Whereas in the U.S. maybe just get it now. Get it while it's hot. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So maybe they offered these, these um, I don't know, what do you call it, uh, grievance that gave the worker something, like, I'll give you a house, I'll give you some health care, da-da-da, so I can rip you off for a longer period of time. Not because I'm so fucking give a fuck about humanity. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No? It's just a different way of fucking you. Like, if that makes sense. It might be better, like, for you to, yeah, get some health care, get a little house, get a da but you're still in that position. But maybe then they can fuck you for a longer period of time because you got to be healthy to rip you off for a longer period of time. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I don't think either is uh, ideal. Like, we want more than that, right? Like, either. But, um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm an anarchist. So, yeah, I think a more... <laughs> Just like uh, Enrico Malatesta, right? I read some of his work yeah, in preparation. I love uh, philosophy, theory, social theory, politics, political science, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I've definitely been um, you know, driven to more uh, anarchistic ideals. Uh, I think I found uh, Noam Chomsky in, in his work, and that was just kind of a rabbit hole of more uh, anarchist philosophy, um, but yeah, part of, I think one of the quotes might've been even on your page is, um, Malatesta. He was saying like, uh, we don't want, I don't want, um, you know, liberation, you know, I want the people to liberate themselves, you know, or something yeah. along those lines I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. 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 Um, we don't want to emancipate the people. We want the people to emancipate themselves. Yes. Uh, I think that resonates with a lot of people. You know, I don't want to be taken care of. I, we can do it ourselves together. You know what I mean? Um, I don't want to be your bitch and I don't want to be your master. How do you live that way? Well, let's figure it out, mate. Um, and we never get a chance to figure it out because there's a lot of violence that gets upon you when you think that way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no um, gods, no gods, no masters. I say that at the end of every podcast. Um, you know, we don't need bosses. We can do this ourselves. I'm just kind of paraphrasing from you know past anarchist traditions, trying to um, you know put some of those themes into um, in my messaging into you know the podcast, whatever my art form, if you will. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for sure. And the question of, oh, you don't need bosses. And then people say, well, you do. It's just human nature. You know, the way people will organize themselves, it's just human nature. And then you can go into nature versus nurture, you know, yeah. and and uh, is it human nature or is it what we nurture? You know, and if you nurture that part of humanity, then that part will come out. If you nurture a cooperative part, then that part can come out. If you nurture our competitive side, then that part will come out. You know what I'm saying? Like, so we don't, I don't think so. Humanity, society is nurtured in that way for the cooperation to come out properly. You know what I'm saying? Because I think it's there. We're just not tapping into that. You know? Yeah, it's it's in us. Huh. You know, and it's, yeah. it's what, what's society? You know, what parts of human nature will society 
bring out. You know, people are capable of terrible things, you know, mass murders, huh. shooting sprees, huh. whatever. Huh. Uh, some some people might say bank robberies, but I'd say that's a good thing. Yeah. Steal from corporations, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I, I didn't get rid of the banking system. I'm actually doing a solo pod on that. But uh, uh, on the other realm or the other whatever dichotomy of human nature, we're capable of, uh, as Peter Kropotkin said, a famous uh, anarchist philosopher as well, mutual aid. You know, we do things yeah. to benefit each other, our local communities, our mm. families, you know, our loved ones, but even people that we don't even know. You know, well, uh, mm. if you see someone in, uh, in need of assistance, you know, maybe broken down on the side of the road, I'm going to stop a lot of the time, you know, just to make sure yeah. that, okay. Especially if it's a, you know, a part of, uh, you know, where there's not a lot of, uh, you know, like a desolate stretch or whatever, and someone looks desperate, you know, it's it's not abnormal for someone to stop and help someone that you know you don't even know. So, what elements of society, what 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 is society going to bring out of human nature? Because yeah, again, there's there's good and bad things of human nature, but and in, in, in fortunately, society is designed by the ruling elites, and um, it kind of. You know, we have a society based on, you know, for, I guess, capitalism, where the only values are like greed, uh, you know, self, self-benefit, self like what it's, what's in it for me, the vile maxim of mankind, and then kind of quoting some of, uh, this is Adam Smith, but basically, you know, stuff that uh, Chomsky has talked about, you know, all, all, <laughs> all for ourselves and nothing for anybody else, you know, just a society based on greed and making money and self-interest and, you know, screw everybody else. Yeah, fuck everyone. Get yours. You know, competitive nature. You know, sure. I'm surprised. Yeah, competition. I'm surprised anyone gives a fuck about each other with all the shit we're bombarded with. To get yours, don't think about your neighbor. Don't give a fuck. You know, na 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 na. I'm surprised we give a fuck at all. You know, and that I'm constantly surprised with people that they give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? At all. I know people are like, oh, people don't care. People, no one gives a shit. Da, da. No, people do care. They're frustrated and they don't know what to do and they don't know how to change their shit, but they fucking care. They might have to lie to themselves and we'll be like, I don't give a fuck, man. Go cold and da 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 da. But that's a survival thing, man. You know what I mean? Like to go cold and not give a fuck. But the way that we've been taught to not give a fuck, I'm surprised that we do at all. This is what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're so propagandized. We're increasingly yeah. propagandized. Consumerism. Only thing yeah. that matters is you know getting a bigger house, getting yeah. the next gadget that we don't need. You know, yeah. um, just just don't worry about it. Just you know, just just work for that next paycheck. Get yours. Screw everybody else. And then that's that. You know, kind of that boom bust cycle of capitalism like all, yeah. all we care about is the next quarter's profits we don't care about human beings the environment future generations that are gonna have to live on a planet that we've destroyed you know with uh-huh. fossil fuels and global warming the climate crisis that's unfolding right in front of our eyes that the u.s and the ruling elites um internationally are doing absolutely nothing to stop in fact they're accelerating it i mean every anytime we dig up more oil more dinosaur bones and you know fuel our cars uh you know we're, we're making the, the prospects uh, of life for future future generations um more difficult and uh yeah of course we need cars and we have a oil-based uh, economy 
you know, and so people got to get to their jobs and, and whatnot. But what we could be doing is changing policy to, you know, promote, again, like high-speed rail and, and, and things they have in, in other countries, in Europe and Japan, that we don't have here in the United States. I mean, we're a fossil fuel-based economy, and uh, unfortunately, you know, electric cars, that's not going to do anything to, you know, save the planet. I mean, we need a, a mass change of infrastructure and, and, and a, um, you know, a change to green energy and, and renewable resources. We're all doomed, you know, maybe not maybe not us or our children, but certainly future generations. I don't know how much longer we're going to be around if we don't uh, seriously clean up our act, you know? Yeah, and when it comes to that shit, it's like the conversation can't go back. It's like another thing that Chelsea said. It's like... Keep the conversation, whether you're talking about the environment and possibilities of change and ways that we can live together with that, you know, it's like, keep the conversation here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The conversation needs to be way bigger than that. Do you know what I mean? It's way beyond just, is it um, old oil money and fossil fuels or is it electric cars? Because that's only where the conversation can go. No, bro, we need bigger than that. You know, we need to like step back and, you know, um, we're all think of ourselves as connected to each other it's deeper than that you know what i mean and yeah. <laughs> uh have a, a conversation about we and us as opposed to i i i all the fucking time and you know um now i understand i is important but in a collective sense not just i as in you know subservient being yeah oh marco uh, don't get me started i'll <laughs> talk in but yeah, solidarity forever. I mean, that's another thing that I like to say on the, on the podcast. Uh, you know, I don't have kids in school, but I don't mind that my tax dollars go to public education, you know, teaching mm-hmm. the kids down the street from me that live in my local community. I think education is a good thing. I think we need education. Uh, unfortunately, the education is, uh, you know, much about indoctrination, <laughs> at least the system mm-hmm. here, and, sure. and, and training yeah. people to be obedient and subservient. Uh, I think the education system should be about um, teaching people to think critically and be creative. You know, but uh, I mean, certainly in in theory, public education is a good thing or the fact that, uh, you know, Social Security, like the widow on the other side of town, like I think it's a good thing that she should have something to eat, you know, so Social Security, (laughs) even though I don't get Social Security checks. Uh, hoping to get it in the future, you know, um, mm. and right now I think what's going on in France, right? There's a lot of protests, farmers protests. Uh, I guess they're trying to raise the retirement age or increase the, uh, the pension age. And people are just, you know, continuing to push back against the government. Uh, I think the French have been leading, uh, the protest movements for, you know, hundreds of years. And I'm still in amazed, uh, at, at what the, what the French are able to do when they get together and protest their ty- tyrannical government, uh, and getting the farmers involved, yeah, people people notice in France. They don't they don't um, publish too much of that kind of stuff in mainstream American media because they don't want to, uh, they don't want us to see you know what can happen if we actually you know join together and fight back against this class war that's going on right now. You know. Yeah, but it's like what is the quote from Steinbeck was like we don't see ourselves like that. We're all about to be a mil- millionaire any minute, man. Any minute, like it's going to happen for me. Um, and you're taught that from the beginning, you know, and that's why we don't even speak about class in the U.S. because we don't even know what that means. And, you know, you're just one step away from making it happen, you know. And and even if – but it never was enough for me. Even if that is the case, which it's not, we know. But even if it was, like, what does that mean? Like, so I can step over my friends and family to get mine? 
And then what? Oh, I'm supposed to pull them up with me? Is that why it works, man? It's fucked up. I'm not interested. Not good enough. Unacceptable. You know, it's like you don't have to exploit your brother. I thought that was the point. You know, even if I come up like it's like the boss girl mentality. I'm going to get mad and I'm going to bring my girls up with me and I'm going to be the boss bitch in the mother. (laughs) Fuck off. I thought it was about to get away from exploitation. Like, you know, and even if I'm nice to the janitor, I don't want that fucking position, man. That's not the point. Like we're supposed to, I thought we were evolving away from that. That's the idea, right? Nay. That's my thought. If we, if we all just clean up after ourselves, we wouldn't clean your own shit. No one has to clean your shit, man. Yeah. Yeah. And have more time. Like like a trash can. That's what capitalism does. It's treats. It's, it's, it's a microcosm in the workplace. Right. But, uh, the the entire system of capitalism, we just treat the planet like a damn trash can that we can just keep polluting forever. And it's always going to be here. And it's always going to be exploited, exploited by human beings. Yeah. Exploit the earth, exploit your brother, exploit. Well, fuck it, man. Smash and grab. Get yours, bitch. Hey. Yeah, it's all. It's definitely a theme in your music. I dig it. I, 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 some of my favorite, um, you know, class conscious music is Rage Against the Machine. I think there's a, a, definitely some similar themes in both mm. of your music. Do you guys listen to uh, any Rage Against the Machine at all? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, not, not so much now, but I, I went to see them in the nineties for sure. Oh, wow. They've broken up several times. They just can't, uh, they can't <laughs> stay together. I don't know what it is. I guess they, they rub each other the wrong way, but, uh, yeah, they put out some good stuff certainly back in the nineties for sure. Yeah. I wanted to talk about what you said though, with, um, public healthcare or public, uh, school, um, just because you said, yeah, I think it's right. People have, uh, free healthcare, free school, like, I think that's necessity, you know, we need to educate ourselves, but not with what we have now, you know, this is the thing, obviously the healthcare system is poison cartel of hell and that's not healing, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so I want people to have free healthcare, of course, but not this shit, this is devil shit, like this is poison, yo, yeah? Of okay. course, you know, Germany yeah. and Europe, you know, I mean, we're the only country in the world without some form of universal health care in the United yeah. States. I mean, we have a we have a, a health care system. We don't have actually a health care system. We have a national scandal. I like repeating that. Yeah. One. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's dominated by big pharma who's of yeah. course gets subsidies by the government uh, and gets price monopolies. It gets monopolistic pricing rights to, you know, basically control the price of medications, life-saving drugs, and it can just jack up the, the cost and, and, you know, yeah. regardless. And if you can't afford it, you die. So what? Yeah, you know, fuck you. Happens. Die at the side right. of the street. Who fucking cares? And, um, hey, you know, who cares that our fucking taxpayer money makes the products and then they take their cut like hey we're sharing the risk and then you keep the profit we share the risk you keep the prop fuck off you know what do you think about it's... a um a, a global economic system where big pharma oh. and the healthcare companies the conglomerates and whatnot make a fortune during a global pandemic what do you think about this yeah. society yeah yeah ridiculous <laughs> yeah real thoughtful real <laughs> thoughtful people yeah healing or the military industrial complex, you know, who uh, who profits off of death, destruction, bombing, genocide, certainly going on in Gaza right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's a, that's, a, that's a crazy subject in this part. Conflict of, of interest there, yeah. In Germany, it's a hard subject that, right, you know? Yeah, there is. Yeah. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Let's get into necessary illusions Woo! in a second. But let's talk about, like, free speech in Germany. 
Uh, I think there's limits on free speech. Uh, I guess they, they've and they're, they're starting to make those limits here in the United States for speaking out against Israel. Israel is a right wing reactionary state. They do not even pretend to allow free speech or freedom of press there. They shut down Al Jazeera, which is a Qatari uh, news media outlet that you know was publishing about the genocide going on in Gaza. But what about you know maybe free speech rights and limitations with Germany and uh, you know what conflicts do you see with what's going on in Gaza? Obviously, you know Germany has a complex history. The Holocaust and all that kind of stuff, but I think you can you can be critical of the policies of the rogue state of Israel and the genocide that they're carrying out and not be anti-Semitic with some of the ruling elites in Israel who are allied with U.S. elites. You know, they typically try to um, put down 100% of critique because they either say either, either you're a self-hating Jew or you're an anti-Semite if you speak, you know, critical of, again, the, the criminal state of, of Israel. But I think it's clear to see that uh, they, they are a criminal state who is carrying out uh, mass atrocities on a, on a scale aided by the United States. We are complicit here. We provide Israel with uh, ideological support, um, financial support, military support, uh, obviously. Uh, mm. And, um, you know, Israel is basically a military outpost for the United States so that uh, the United States can kind of rule the world's global oil supply, having, you know, a foothold there in the uh, Middle East and certainly uh, aided by, you know, the, the typical attack dog in the U.K. who goes along yeah. with, uh, you know, U.S. and, and Israeli policy typically in the uh, Middle East. Mm. Yeah, well, the freedom of speech thing in Germany is kind of, it's it doesn't exist when it comes to this subject. Like already, I, I, I saw, I'm not exactly hundred percent sure about this, but basically, there, there's a Berlin Wall where they want to shut down any sort of dissent in cultural spaces that's pro-Palestine or against Israel or against the war machine, and they want to actually stop uh, shut down clubs and venues that have artists that talk about this. And that's some crazy shit. Because when we first arrived from Italy and Southern Europe and the rest of Europe, in fact, everywhere, the left are pretty much against the Israel war machine, the occupation, the genocide that's been going on since at least 47. And and which is pretty much a, a British thing. You know what I mean? It's like a British thing and then financed by the states over the last 50 years, 70 years. So, um, but in Germany, it's when we first arrived in Germany, it was a real issue for us to talk about that because we used to talk about it a lot. We moved to Germany and we came to find out, actually, we won't get any shows. Nobody, we won't get anything at all if we continue to talk about this. So it's like, and, that, and this is from the left, you know, yeah. like the, the alternative left is very much pro-Israel and it's starting to change now because there's so many immigrants over the last 10, 15 years in Berlin. So there is definitely a change because all these immigrants have a different perspective than the the German or British perspective. So, but it's 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 really fucking horrible situation. You know, it's like, uh, you can feel the pressure. We've been here now nine years and it's, it's uh, it's incredible. You know, it's really uh, all, all our international comrades and friends and stuff have a completely different opinion. Whereas in Germany, they're super pro-Israel. Yeah, and it's main, mainly because of the anti-Deutsch movement from the sixties, seventies, and uh, but even and a lot of people say, "Hey, we're not anti-Deutsch. We don't think like that." But in fact, they do. So it's like, even though they'll maybe... Even if they don't, they're sympathetic to it or their yes. eyes glaze over, they can't talk about it. There's extreme guilt of the past. 
um, it becomes a uh, yeah. But uh, just stop bombing Gaza now is. I mean, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, that seems like what whatever to say, but that's all I have to say. I don't, yeah, it's not I don't, difficult to figure out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because people say, "Oh, it's complicated," or this and that. Um, sure, but um, stop doing that and then y'all can talk about it <laughs> but just stop bombing gaza now yeah. and then go back to fucking talking about that and, they, and they, what they do here in the united states is they call it a war i mean it's not a war there's no standing yeah. army in gaza they don't have a navy yeah. they don't have an air force it's innocent people just being you know killed murdered mass uh, extermination yeah. ethnic cleansing genocide i mean call it what it is you know i, I think yeah. it's clear and obvious there's no there's no two sides to it it's one side every once in a while you know um, there, there's a terrorist attack, um, you know, from Gaza and, um, you mm. know, sometimes, sometimes it even could be, you know, you never know. I mean, Israel has killed their own citizens before they, and they'll do it again, I'm sure. But, you know, every once in a while, you know, the, 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 the desperation of the Gaza, the people in Gaza and Palestine generally, they fight back and they kill innocent citizens of Israel, which I don't condone. But uh, I think I'm paraphrasing when you when you make peace impossible, you make violence inevitable. So, you know, every once in a while there's a violent act. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, it's escalated by Israel. So, you know, maybe a thousand or more civilians, uh, civilian casualties with the, the attacks of uh, October 7th, which many people, especially in the U.S. sphere, think, oh, this this conflict started in, uh, you know, back in October. Actually, no, like you were saying, Malatesta, yeah. this is back in, uh, you know, 1947 at least. Um, yeah. But um, <laughs> the escalation of violence. So, you know. Uh, a thousand civilians die, and yet, uh, you know, maybe tens of thousands, thousands of children, women, innocent civilians are going to die, maybe more, um, you know, in, in response to that violence. So, I mean, mm. that's, that's not the kind of world I want to live in. Violence uh, is, is met with more violence. What people in Gaza and Palestine want is peace. You know, they want their land back. They want equal rights. They don't want to live in an apartheid regime or a regime worse than apartheid. They want, they want the, they want the um, human rights. They want human rights. They want the, they want to exist. They want to exist peacefully. They don't want to be oppressed violently by the IDF and, you know, the Israel security forces and the military forces. They don't want to be, you know, constantly surveyed with drones and, you know, uh, surveillance technology. Um, they, they just want to live and, and exist. And, um, you know, they, they want equal footing. You know, they want to be able to leave and return. They don't get any of these rights. They're basically, you know, as Chomsky has said, this is the world's largest open air prison. It's resembling a concentration camp. And obviously that uh, might resonate with people in Germany, but I think it's certainly, I mean, starting to look much, much more like a concentration camp. These poor, innocent uh, citizens have nowhere to go and they're being systematically exterminated by Israeli security forces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Totally agree. Yeah. That's, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. Um, yeah. We got a few minutes and then we'll take a little break, but, uh, the necessary illusions. Love the song. Great song. Um, I'm a reader of Chomsky. Are you both reader of readers of Chomsky and what does necessary illusions? What does that mean to you? Do you want to answer? Go ahead. Basically more or less what, obviously what you see in your, your bio or the, on the splash page of the podcast or whatever, um, they ha- in order to control us, they have to create these necessary illusions or else it would be on in a big way because there's more of us than there is of them. 
So they can't stop us by force. They really can't, even no matter what it looks like, because obviously we are whatever it is, 70% of the population or whatever. So it's vitally important that they do the propaganda shit. And that's what we've lived through since we were kids, right? It's been extreme propaganda since, well, forever, but especially with the TV and the radio and then the internet and all that. But it's not just like the news propaganda. It's also every TV show you watch, it's it's, it's deep, you know? It's like, oh, watching a comedy, light comedy, but it's all like, it's all there. <laughs> it's all there for the taking. More than you ever thought. Like, I think I think sports too. I mean, just turn on the TV, uh, sporting events, nationalism, the American flag, fighter jets flying over, uh, you know, the stadium. You have the police force militarized with guns, maybe even assault rifles. Um, the, the salute, uh, the national anthem, the uh, athletes, you know, ready to do battle. You know, I mean, this is all yeah, yeah. nationalistic uh, imagery. Yeah. Um, and what Chomsky says is like. You know, sports, there's a lot of emphasis, time, money, and, and um, effort put into sports. And that, they do it for a reason. You know, it's it's one way to inculcate attitudes, you know, to submit to a ruler. You know, us versus them mentality. I also think, like, you know, when you talk about, like, your team, right? Your team loses a game. You know, listen to a local uh, sports radio station. We have them here, at least all over the United States, just people spend hours and hours of their day worried about this completely pointless game that happens. And then if their team loses, fire the coach, you know, fire the general manager. Let's get rid of this player, you know, this reactionary decision, you know, basically treating workers like, you know, tools of production. Obviously, athletes are usually very uh, highly paid workers, but they're workers nonetheless. They can get bought, sold, uh, fired, Um, you know, they're basically tools of tools of production. So, I mean, you can go to every facet of our society. Uh, I want to talk about like musical themes too, but I mean, it's everywhere. This propaganda, these necessary illusions are everywhere, you know, trying to inculcate attitudes and, um, you know, try to indoctrinate people with the capitalist preferred way of living. You know, these corporations, uh, consumerism, money, uh, you know, the, the next quarter's profits get mine, you know, destroy the, destroy the environment. Who cares? As long as I make a, make a bit, a buck next quarter, you know, it's just, it's just everywhere. It's in TV, movies, propaganda, you know, the justification of police violence is yeah. all over the television here in the United States. Yeah, yeah. Also in nature shows, if you ever watch these nature shows, it's like the violent girl had to be competitive yes. in the jungle for the Buddha. And it just, yeah. every time I hear this tri- diatribe, do you call it? Whatever that spiel, like that, it's the same as sports. It's that same spiel, die, kid, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and it's like, well, it doesn't have to be like that. And then it brings me back, like Krabakin, when you're saying, you know, mutual there's, aid. yeah, mutual aid. And actually the jungle can be very um, compassionate and cooperative. Almost not in a, a fantasy way, but like in a uh, matter of fact for survival, we cooperate, Porco Dio. You know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. As a common theme in my life, I got so much to say and not enough time to say it or not a platform. So, so, and so much trash on television, so much propaganda, so many necessary illusions. I was just watching, um, I was just watching this, uh, I guess documentary on, um, Netflix and it was, uh, Morgan Freeman. I love Morgan Freeman's voice and he was narrating it, but the writing was just absurd and the CGI, I guess it was like the history. I don't know what it's called, but like basically the history of planet earth and life on earth. Wait, is this a nature show? Yeah. Yeah. It was a nature Fuck show. Off. 
I just watched that too. And I love Morgan Freeman's voice. I'm like, I, oh, thank you. He's like a good grandpa. It's like, he just, you know, but anyway, that's exactly what I'm talking about. See the way he had to dominate for his life. And it's like, whoa, it's not a hundred percent. Right, bro. And it's like, what is the narration? It's crazy. And that's what I'm talking about. The same as the sports and this and that. And it's like, you could actually make the show a different, like nature is both, you know, it's not. And love, yeah. So I'm glad you honed in on that. It's exactly what I'm talking about. It's fucking. I remember this like this battle like um, in the, in the show where like the dinosaur was hungry, you know, as dinosaurs always are in, in documentaries, and it, you know it, it killed uh, this other whatever dinosaur and, and ate it and stuff like that. Uh, and that's usually like when I watch nature documentaries, that's kind of what happens. It's like anticlimactic, you know. There's a chase sometimes. And then the and then the whatever the lion or the tiger eats its prey and end you know cut the next scene. But in this documentary, it was just like uh, this like pageantry, like the dinosaur was roaring and you know making itself you know kind of like pounding on its chest type of thing, sending a message to the other dinosaurs like I rule this land or whatever. And I'm like that's, that's not how nature works. Like you know when 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 the predators are hungry. They go eat, and uh, I think something like 97% of uh, tiger hunts and ambushes are unsuccessful, you know? Uh, This this fictional portrayal of how nature uh, works. And, of course, we didn't have cameras back then. We don't know what the dinosaurs looked like exactly. We don't know what they sounded like. We certainly don't know their social structure. They're trying to put put this together, but they're putting it together under, like, a capitalist ideology or a framework, you know? Like, the dinosaurs aren't... Mm -hmm aren't roaring and, you know, tr- trying to say like, you know, I, I'm, I'm bigger and stronger. Uh, don't, you know, don't come in my territory that type of thing. Like the dinosaurs probably what I think nature does, you know, you eat when you're hungry and then when you're not hungry, you, you go about your business. Like I've seen at water holes, like, uh, like zebras, lions, elephants, all kind of coexisting, but every once in a while, you know, someone, uh, you know, gets a little ornery or takes a bite or something like that. There, there's a, there's a, um, you know, maybe, maybe there's a, like a violent, whatever, a crocodile or a hippo or a lion, you know, takes out someone, someone else. But like, it's, it's not like this, I don't know, this, this kind of like social structure where you have to dominate your enemy. You're all, you're all in competition. You're all, you know, working against each other. Like there, there can certainly be like, I saw a, a, a video where I think it's like bears Bears and uh, wolves or something like they work together. A lot of times they'll walk together. They're like company, or maybe it was like a it was a wolverine and a bear. Just like you know, you wouldn't expect you know two maybe predators you know working together, or even in some instances like prey and predator. Like you know, nature works together. They live together. They you know their their territories are being shrunk. But it's not this like kind of dominion. I had a lot of I had a, an author on talk about dominion, man's domination over nature. You know, that's not that's not how it should be. That's, that's not how it has to be. That's not natural to nature. I think um, you know, there's so, certainly instances where prey and predator dominate one another, but mostly for food, not to like I don't know for territory or whatnot. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes certainly. But, you know, nature works together. They they coexist. Uh, mm-hmm. Mutual aid. Uh, you know, like. I think monkeys, you know, they'll they'll pick the parasites off of, of the other monkeys. You know, that's just one example. But you know, nature nature works together. Or like uh, I think on the hippo, like there's birds that'll pick pick off the the parasites. Like nature, it's kind of like an ecosystem. It's complex, but it's 
it's not this dominion uh, dominionism where like man has to dominate earth and, and, the, mm. and the environment and the animals and each other, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be like that. That's like a framework. That's like an ideology or a necessary illusion that I definitely picked up in that documentary that I don't think is accurate, you know? Yeah. A learned illusion, you know, like you said, it exists, but it's not 95% of the time. And the way that we're ex- it's expressed to us is 95% of the time, and we must act the same way and act accordingly. It's natural. It's just natural. You know, it's just natural. It's just human nature. You can't help it. Um, well, not so much, bro. Like, you can. And what you nurture, it goes back to nurture. I mean, you know. Um, and setting up <laughs> situations so that we will act accordingly. Like, if, you, if the hood is like... Uh, deprived of resources and da 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 da, then we might be at each other's throats. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like setting up situations or environments where you will be at each other's throats. And, but I'm saying, even in those environments they try and set up, we still find our humanity, and that blows me away. That means it's strong. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. to give, it's like. But in the in the nature shows, that's a prime example of that. Like cooperation's not shown in those fucking nature shows you know and if it was it's like shocking because we need each other so in a way the coexistence is like survival because we need each other bro you know what i'm saying and we're not dominating our environment we're living with it (laughs) you know live with it you know i'm sorry but native americans were understood that I think more. I mean, yeah. not to romanticize, but yeah. I think they understood that. Like, you live with it. You know, coexist. What I mean? Yeah, coexist yeah. with nature. You have to live in, you know, like in harmony. You know, and I've read some uh. books on their cultures. They didn't completely like they they didn't they made an imprint on the environment. Certainly not like the capitalists make make an imprint with the eight billion of us around here. You know, make on the uh. environment. But yeah, they they did. Uh, they they would burn fields. You know, that would symbolize. You know. I guess evasive species, invasive species, and you know, kind of starting anew. Like at the end of the season, you know, they would burn the crops. They had inter- irrigation systems. They had a very complex society, you know. But it seemed like they were a lot more in touch, uh, their culture with nature, with the animals. They appreciated, you know, the the, the I guess the need for violence, but that also, you know, that, that animal sacrifices life, you know, for, for, um, maybe not willingly, you know, but for people to get the food nourishment, Mm. use the bones as tools, use the hide as, um, you know, clothing or shelter. Uh, you know, that's certainly, I mean, in in a capitalist, uh, you know, I think so much of, 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 of so much waste, so much trash, you know, so Mm. much, excess you know we don't need all this junk that we make you know uh instead of just living off the environment and then coexisting and working together mutual aid you know we have to dominate our environment and we have to pollute it and trash it like the world is a giant trash can and that's disgusting and it doesn't need to be that way hi uh, and what was it there was a quote it was our friend um slaving to consume the products we make you know it's like we make these things and then we become slave to consume it searching for happiness now i like a nice pair of sneakers myself and i like to look good <laughs> Me too. but that's not what we're talking about here right it's like that's not where you're gonna get our happiness and it's like it's short-lived isn't it you know let's it's talk like, about that for a want... second it, it is short-lived let's talk about that for a second we're all part of this machine right we're all living within, within this capitalist socio-economic political order right we all have to exist we all have to make a living for ourselves maybe we can talk about um the 
how difficult it is to make a living in art. I mean, art is definitely not, um, you know, certainly working class art forms is certainly not uh, um, well well funded by the ruling elites. You know, they probably don't want class conscious music out there. Um, mm. But like, how, how do you fit into the system having to, let's say, buy shoes that were made in Indonesia, uh, maybe in a sweatshop, you know? Like I have Jordans and, and Nike shoes in my on my rack, you know, and I, I haven't bought a pair in a long time. How do you kind of compartmentalize that? Like, I like nice shoes. I like Jordans. I like Nikes. But yet, mm. now that I think about it, you know, these were made by maybe children making pennies a day, working in sweatshop conditions. How do you, you know, justify living in a capitalist society knowing that, you know, even when I go to the bank machine, the ATM, you know, I'm essentially doing business with this corporate banking elite system that I, I don't want to be a part of, but there's, it's kind of difficult to get out of, you know? Yeah, man, why, you got a phone, right? So you're just as, exactly. you know, yeah. you're just as responsible and guilty as anyone else that made the system because you got a phone. I got a phone, no, I, I just, got a computer. You know, we're all, no, I don't see it like that. I see it like we're forced into these things for survival. I mean, I, they didn't ask little Missy. They didn't ask me. Like, That's I the manufacturing no. of consent. They don't, they don't yeah. ask what we want. They, they manufacture the consent. So they basically yeah. don't have any choice. Because if they ask me, I say no to the little boy digging lithium, wherever the fuck he's digging lithium. I would say no to that. I would say I think there's another way we can find to communicate without little boys digging in lithium. Da, 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 da. They don't ask me that. Um, you know, in the U.S., I'd have to shop at Walmart, wherever fucking cheaper. You know, you try to make conscious decisions, but uh, through your your consumerism, you know. But at one point, I'm sorry, your eco- the, your economics dictate what you do. I'm sorry, yeah. So that's fucked up. So me going to Walmart to get the cheaper deal, I'm fucking someone else somewhere else. Do you understand? Yeah. And that's what the society do? they create. You know, they create yeah. that society. They, it's, that our, our, our consent is manufactured. We don't have a choice. And, you know, our, our own economic status, we might say, hey, I want to grow my own food and shop at locally owned businesses. But I'll tell you what, if I go down to Walmart, I know I'm going to get it for a little bit cheaper. And that's really all I can afford right now, you know? Yeah. Because I got five bucks. I don't yeah. have 50 right now. And so five bucks is going to get this. And you know what I'm saying? And it's like at one point, um, well, the point is- about personal responsibility and taking responsibility for ourselves and being conscious and trying, you know, but at the same time, how much, because well, your option, your, your hands are tied is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, we don't, we don't actually have any choices. That's the problem. The problem is, is we want a world where we can choose. And right now we don't. So therefore, that's how we live with buying sneakers. We have no choice. If you want a pair of shoes, what's the alternative? I'd love to even know what it is because there's, there's none around here. No, but that's the point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Is that your choices are limited? And they say, well, you have choices. You made the bad choices. You have a gun to your face, bro. Like, what yeah. do you mean? Yeah. Okay. I was just watching a documentary um, last night on Burundi. Burundi is the small country. In Africa, I think the the most populated city there is like 300,000. The majority of the population, I'm just making up these numbers now, but I think they live on like less than $30 a year. I think something like uh, like a a common bill in circulation is like – you know, $10,000 or whatever, Burundi dollars or something like that. And I think that might maybe equate to a dollar fifty. you know, here in the United States. Um, mm. it's, just, it's just incredible. I mean, these local communities, it's not like violent. It's not like, um, you know, they're attacking each other, robbing each other, sure. just all trying to get by. And unfortunately, something like some huge percentage of the population 
like dies of poverty, hunger, exhaustion. Um, it's just like the, the neo-colonialism and the, and the capitalist domination um, of, uh, you know, other, other parts of the world, you know, like essentially we, we get products probably made in, in Burundi because they pay their workers um, maybe pennies a day, if that, you know, to kind of this, this cheap labor, um, you know, in, in this global economic system, it basically puts uh, workers in competition with um, workers in Burundi, you know, so the American worker is maybe making, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars or a thousand dollars a week, something like that. But there's always that threat that, hey, I can transfer the production uh, factory. I can put it in Burundi and make, uh, you know, the products for, you know, pennies on the dollar. So, you you know, you better not rise up and think uh, to ask for better wages or more time off or, or, or better benefits, you know, because I could always like transfer, that, you know, that job to Burundi. But it's just incredible the, the amount of poverty, you know, and I, I saw something like, uh, this was an article I tweeted. Again, this is Burundi, an extreme example. It's literally the poorest country in the world. Of course, Africa dominated by generations, hundreds of years of um, neo-colonialism and outright colonialism and imperialism by Europe and all to to uh, uh, and to the extent the United States as well. Um, but I saw an article I re- recently retweeted this. Uh, it's estimated that by the end of the decade, we're going to have the first trillionaire ever. Whether it's Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk or one of these other crooks, uh, Bill Gates. But uh, in the cur- at the current rate, um, poverty will not be, I guess, extreme poverty, hunger, all that kind of stuff, those bad things. Extreme poverty won't be eradicated from the world probably for another 229 years. We can't be sure, but, you know, they, I think they said 229 years. So we're going to have the first trillionaire in less than five years, six years, uh, but it's going to be another 200 and however many years until poverty is eradicated. This global system, it's just so crooked. But, uh, I mean, I just, I was amazed uh, watching this documentary of Burundi and how the people, you know, they would travel um, hundreds of miles delivering goods on a bicycle with no feet or uh, with no shoes, you know, just bare feet uh-huh. on a bicycle through rain and mm-hmm. bad weather and wind and whatever, uh, hundred, hundreds of pounds on their backs. And I'm like, wow. Sometimes I think I have it bad. Sometimes I think I'm exploited. Sometimes I think I'm oppressed. Then I watch a documentary of a, a normal worker or a normal person living in Burundi where they might have eight or nine kids. Two of them died from malnourishment and hunger. And I'm like, you know what? I don't have it that bad though. You know, so we have a lot of, we have a lot of benefits. You know, we have a lot of, we have a, we're, we're not in that kind of place, you know, in Europe and or the United States, at least, you know, the state of working class. Although we are exploited, um, those are the places that are even worse. You know, the capitalists exploit people in these in these uh, the so-called global south. You know, and prior to prior to capitalism, there wasn't a global south. There wasn't this extreme inequality. This is a this is a kind of a new thing over the last couple hundred years. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. But uh, do you ever think about that? Like, you know, when when you think you have times that times are tough. Sometimes I go to Mexico too, uh, just to shop, check out the culture, and eat. I mean, the poverty there, it's only uh, less than 100 miles from where I live here in Texas. But the extreme poverty in Mexico, which has been dominated by the United States, uh, you know, kind of economic policies, economic warfare, NAFTA, uh, the Mm -hmm. extreme poverty just a, a couple hundred miles or less from where I live is just insane. And sometimes, you know, when I think I have it bad or I think I'm oppressed or exploited, then I'm like, wow. I don't know anything about that comparing myself to, you know, again, maybe someone from Colombia or, 
or Mexico, or even Brazil. You know, they're, they're extreme poverty in Brazil. If you remember the Rio de Janeiro Olympics, I mean, they were protests about these $100 million sports stadiums they were putting up there, all while the basic population is living on maybe a couple dollars a day, you know? Yeah, but I mean, I think context is everything, you know? I mean, like, um, there's a lot of places, even in Southern Europe and stuff, where people are more connected to the land, the economy is completely different. There's no money, but they have a little bit more freedom when it comes to the, it's not San Francisco or Texas or whatever, where it's pretty clear what you have to do to survive. Whereas there's a bit more autonomy. I don't know about Burundi, but uh, a lot of other places we have friends in South Africa, for example, um, and it seems to be as much as it's poor and fucked up, there is definitely a bit more autonomy. That they seem to be able to like kind of, you know, like food, food's better in a lot of these places than the stuff that we're consuming, you know? So it's like, I think... Well, also, I think the people would be able to deal with their situation better if the U.S. wasn't funding and propping up um, in these governments, or like, in, especially in South America, like you say, you know, propping up what? Neo-Nazi regimes. Thank you. I was trying to think of the word, yeah, fascist, neo-Nazi regimes. I don't know. What do we want to call them? And giving money and propping these groups up. And then, you know, the people, the people would be able to deal with the situation easier, you know, if it wasn't for that. So regime change. I mean, the United States has been doing regime changes throughout the world, especially in Latin Mm. America for hundreds of years. I mean, the Monroe Mm. Monroe Doctrine essentially says, we're going to run this hemisphere and you're not going to mess with us, you know, and we're going to install dictators, puppet regimes, uh, regimes that are are sympathetic to United States power interests and economic interests. And we don't really give a damn about the the population, you know, whether they're living on a couple dollars a day, who cares? All we care about is next quarter's profits, you know, making that widget for a little bit cheaper than we would here in the United States. That's what uh, neoliberalism, I think, is, is kind of, you know, putting global workers in competition with each other and making wages lower for everybody. Everybody loses in this kind of system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's yeah. talk about the music industry. I want to transition. We got about twenty more minutes to go here. The okay. music industry. Uh, what, what what kind of emphasis is is uh, is there on music and the arts in society in a capitalist society? And how difficult it uh, is making a living as I would say, what an independent artist? Uh, would you say you guys are like kind of in, independent? <laughs> you know, certainly not mainstream, right? Yeah, we're definitely independent. <laughs> Um, it's super difficult, as you would imagine, you know what I mean? Like, nice clubs and better places to play are obviously uh, ideologically affiliated with all the things we've been talking about. Um, so it's it's super difficult. Luckily, or in a way, in Europe, there is a, an alternative world to that. You know, even some of the mainstream are more sensitive, more friendly towards leftist ideas and stuff like that because it's not as black and white as say the states or the uk even so there's a lot of historical lefty organizations or anarchist organizations that have actually got a little bit of power where they can actually pay you and the places that they run are have got decent sound systems and lighting systems and stuff like that so it's like europe that's why when we used to tour coming from san francisco it, it made a lot of sense to us because there was like anarchist spaces where like maybe 500 people would come to the show or something like that, you know, stuff that in the States was almost like a dream. 
Yeah, rich you know? anarchist history. I love the anarchist revolution. I'm reading uh, in Spain. I'm reading homage to Catalonia, Catalonia yeah. by uh, George Orwell. One of my favorite time periods. That uh, anarchist revolution in Spain. Uh, also reading a little bit, a little bit of Malatesta. That rich anarchist tradition in Italy. Um, certainly yeah. going on uh, at the time of the Great Depression. Uh, working class movements, solidarity movements. Uh, a lot of tension, you know, and I think that uh, that um, organization helped pass the New Deal here in the United States after the Great Depression uh, with FDR. And obviously, you know, they've been trying to tear down the New Deal ever since. Um, but, yeah, I, lo- I love I love Europe and reading about that rich anarchist tradition in Spain and Italy, certainly, and uh, certainly feels uh, I haven't really traveled to Europe, but um, just reading about it in the history and the culture certainly feels like it's a little bit more friendly to leftist ideas than uh, certainly they are in the, in the States. In the States, I feel like, you know, there's a, mm-hmm. anything you don't like, it's communist, you know, yeah. rights for workers, social security, libraries, public education, mm-hmm. those are all commie ideas, you know, it's like, it's so propagandized here and there's so so much, I guess, you know, political back and forth, you know, left, right kind of stuff. But in Europe, I think, you know, there's a lot more, I guess, openness to, again, yeah, leftist politics and working class solidarity movements. Yeah. In the U S it was actively destroyed the unions actively, you know, whereas here you can actually have unions that not only unions, but like radical unions, you know, cause a lot of the unions you can criticize that, Hey, you're playing the same game, flip side of the coin and, 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 and that, but here you can actually have radical unions that want to take it further. I mean, when it comes to unions in the U S it was actively destroyed, you know, I mean, consciously, uh, an attack, a violent attack, you know, I mean, this is yeah, fucking I mean, old book. I was reading uh, one of the songs on the album talks about that. It's called they treat us raw. It was a, to me, my interpretation of the destruction of unions in the U S I mean, even if personally, I think that co-op kind of model, I would, I think is better collective model, but, uh, you know, in the discussion of unions, yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, let's I'm... overthrow capitalism, but for now, hey, co-ops aren't so bad. Unions are yeah. good. Co-ops are good. But overall, <laughs> let's get the hell out of it. Let's overthrow that capitalism bullshit. Yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about uh, how you guys came together, how, how the group was formed, how this duo was formed. Were you uh, both independent and kind of came together and have the same ideals and values and themes in your music, or how that all kind of go come about? Well, we, well, first of all, if I want to say this, say that book. Right, that's yeah, favorite this book. is an interesting book. Uh, it's called The Story of the Iron Column, and it's by Abel Paz, and it's Militant Anarchism in the Spanish Civil War. Um, it's, it's an AK Press book um, from back in the day. But that, that talk about um, being out with the, having autonomy and being out with the, Socialist governments. I mean, what was the author much, again? What was that author again? Abel Paz, A B A E L, A B E L, Paz, P A Z. Entitled, what was the title? The Story of the Iron Column. Okay. Um, to the list. Yeah, I was going to say because it's a good book, man. And you're talking about that period. It's exactly but, but, that. But period. in Spain and Italy, this history is almost if well, it's actually probably longer than the state. So the anarchist history is like a competitor, or the radical socialist history is a competitor to the state. So, for example, we played a benefit of the 100 year anniversary of the anarchist union in Italy, the Uzi. 
and it was their 100 year anniversary. They paid us well, if I remember rightly. <laughs> you know, so there's like that. That's different from not to to diss it in any way, but that's different from like kind of young punks who call themselves anarchists who have little collective uh, events and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's like a, over a hundred year history. A lot of these institutions that still exist. There's a place, but it's an anarchist union. You know what I mean? That ha- actually affects society. So it's, so it's not new ideas. Like, I, I think in places like Spain and Italy and France, it's not a new idea. It's part of the tradition of those countries. So therefore, that's why I think you see so much activity in in France because it's not it's not a new thing. It's an old thing. You know, you have grandparents who were anarchists. You, I mean, you get that in the States, of course, as well, but just not as much, maybe, you know. And there's not a focal point like the way there is in Italy. There's lots of social centres in France, Italy, Spain, where literally they've been there for over 100 years. So it's like anarchist institutions almost, you know. What you find in the US, but it's like it's not institutions, it's scattered thoughts as yeah. opposed to, you know what I mean? Um and then, what was the next question? How the group started? Yeah, how did you start? How'd you come together? How'd you find one another? Were you guys kind of independent uh, before you came together, or doing your own yeah. thing? Or... Yeah, yeah. I wanted to answer this question first. <laughs> Actually, I wrote it down. Working class art is like, for me, yeah, working class folks. Uh, we we need to have some sort of creative outlet, and we don't have any, and we don't have any time to do shit. We have three jobs. We have no health care. We're taking care of grandma who's dying. You know what I'm saying? There's so much going on. When do you have time to do art? I mean, and have some sort of expression, and it's seen as almost like um, a very luxurious thing or um, an uppity it thing. Or for the up, it, yeah, it's for like elites. You know, it's for young. And, it's a luxury. Yep. It, it seems like that's what capitalism does to the arts. It, it's yeah. if you can afford it you can have the arts and if you can't uh, you're just struggling to get by and that's a fucking damn shame for me okay grew up with parents who were working class but arty motherfuckers right and so it was big in my house it was um what's the word it was uh, it meant something it was it wasn't a you know it had value <laughs> it wasn't just bullshit it's important for you to express yourself and to express with each other and and when things are dark these pulls through dark times porco deal you know what i'm saying um and in the fact that we don't have that and we can't express that now, whether that means art through like cooking a good meal, whether that means however that comes out, that is not part of our society and it's not deemed and it's not registered as if it means something. And that's a damn shame to me. Just wanted to say that. I, I hate that art is so commercialized. It's like, yeah. you know, corporatized consumerism, yeah. mainstream. Yeah. There's not a lot of, you know, there's certainly a lot of struggling independent artists out there, but they don't have a platform to get their, their ideas and, and themes and, and things out there. Unless you have corporate backing, you know, I think a lot of people that are in the arts in, the, in a capitalist society have to struggle. And as you said, work two and three jobs, you know, just to kind yeah. of get by no healthcare, you know? Yeah. Or join the military to get health care. You know, I, most of my family joined the military to get health care and like a pension, maybe if they're lucky, like whatever. Fucked up. That's, um, a, that's a recruiting device for the military. If they gave us yeah. free health care and college and a pension, who would, yeah. join the, who would join the military? If you could get all yeah. those things for free just for being a citizen, you know, why would you join the military and go thousands of miles away from your home and your family yeah. and your community to go pe- go kill people, you know, in a village somewhere for oil rights or whatever, you know? Yep, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's yeah. fucked up, man. Yeah, it's totally different though in the States from Europe because in Europe, as I said, they have these traditions, these ultra-left 
traditions and spaces. So it's like... Um, but it's it's almost done as a, but of course, like, don't be so stupid. Whereas to us, where we come from, it's like, communist! And you're like, oh, hey, communist! Yep. You know, and you're like, wait, I just wanted healthcare. I'm a communist. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, we're in the um, United States, we're in a perpetual red scare. You know, anything yeah. that is not in benefit to the ruling elites and to the rich and powerful is labeled communist. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. human rights are, I think are labeled communist here, you know, free education, right. public education, healthcare, uh, public transportation, all those things are like, you know, libraries even, I think I've seen yeah. libraries attacked from the right. It's all communist. In, 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 uh, uh, handouts, handouts, communist. Right. Are subsidies, are corporate subsidies communist? No, no, they're not. <laughs> they're not. American as apple pie, corporate subsidies that's, and corporate welfare. That's not handouts and that's not communist. No. Okay. All right. Did the group start? That was the we next met, question. We met in San Francisco. We met in San Francisco. Um, <laughs> I was doing a, a, a small label of, basically from an illegal label, if you want. And it was back in the day of CDs and we were making vinyl and we organized shows in San Francisco. And it was, we also volunteered at AK Press for many years. Which then became PM Press and then AK Press split. Yeah. So we were heavily involved with AK Press for many years in San Francisco and Oakland. And uh, we thought, hey, we're going to put on shows and we're going to put out some releases. Um and then eventually, because of that, we started to tour in Europe. Again, totally do a job, save up our money, buy our flights. Hopefully we get some money back. This was like 15 years ago, 18 years ago, whatever. Yeah, and punks were very sympathetic to us. It gave us a lot of time. The punk world like liked our words. They were like the vibe, you know what I'm saying? Anti-counterculture, that anti-establishment anti yep. kind of yeah. vibe. Yeah, And because there's so many occupied spaces in Europe, historically, less so every year, um, we would we would play in these occupied squats, you know, a lot of the time, like, lots of tours were squat tours. And the vibe was way hotter than fucking clubs, you know what I'm saying? The vibe was real, it was raw, it was, it was going, you know, it was hitting. And so... Then we moved to Italy, eventually, after a couple of albums, we moved to Italy and... We started to get involved in the anti-fast scene there and all the social centres played all over Italy for many years, all over Europe permanently since 2007 or something. And yeah, in the neighbourhood we lived in Italy, the, um, a young man was killed by fash, so it got pulled us into the, the anti-fast movement through that and uh, the history, the massive history of in Europe of that, you know. Um. I wasn't familiar with, you know, but it was very... Yeah, but I think that if there's one thing I noticed, maybe it's the illegality. The state is not as strong in places like Italy and Spain as it is in the USA or England or maybe even France. But um, so it means that people, people are more prepared to break the law for their ideals. And that might seem scary and it might seem kind of dangerous or whatever, but... Fundamentally, that has to happen. At some point, that has to happen, and it's almost like the 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 doors open and lots of people get involved because they they have the confidence to. Like the neighbourhood we stayed in Milan, all occupied the entire neighbourhood. Um, my grandfather is from Rome, for example, in the fifties and sixties, didn't pay rent in the 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 housing project. You know what I mean? It's like. 
Those See, are, but you might argue, you know, that was their social security, you know, before yeah. they started to give people safety nets that the people took them and yeah, that was their way of survival. I mean, there's a tradition of occupying in places like Italy and Spain and Greece and stuff like that, which uh, is difficult to try and get your head around in the States. But fundamentally, if, if you've got a big enough community, you can occupy a place and the cops aren't going to do anything because it goes back to that question. That, we have the power. We have the power. We have the number, yeah, right? Yeah. And the necessary illusion becomes irrelevant at, that, at some point. At one point, the illusion kind of breaks and you can see and then you relate with people and you're like, oh, this this can happen. That's another thing yeah. about Chomsky. Everything is hanging by a thread. Everything is very yeah. delicate. I mean, just the slight – you saw with the George, George Floyd protests here in the United States. I mean – one, uh, you know, death at the hands of a police, of police, you know, in, in Minneapolis transformed the whole country for like six months. I mean, protests were all over the country. Just everything was hanging on by a thread, and the ruling class knew it. This is a time yeah. when we gotta, we gotta hold on. We gotta watch ourselves. We can't be, you know, and cops were getting arrested and charged left and right, you know, just because there was so much pressure by the people. Everything, the ruling class and the entire establishment, the entire political system, it's all hanging on by a thread. And when the when the when the people, you know, when we organize and we we speak up and we protest, we can get stuff done. But unfortunately, you know, these political movements are not long lasting. But you know, you saw some positive things with the Black Lives Matter movement here in the United States and ripple effects internationally as well. Yep, absolutely. The the, uh, Occupy Wall Street, that's when I was starting to really get radicalized about politics here in the States. That Occupy Wall Street uh, movement really resonated with me. Like, we're going to camp out, we're going to camp out right in front of these you know, these crooks, these Wall Street crooks and bankers and all that kind of stuff. I really like that. That's really speaking, speaking up against the man, you know, the power systems here. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's totally positive. Um, yeah, I just feel that uh, it's, it's, it's institutions that people have to build institutions, not in a bad sense, but in a positive sense. And like, for example, in the Occupy Wall Street thing, if, if I don't know if it's, if it's the case or not, but maybe if people actually occupied spaces so that it's not all on their shoulders, but the next generation and the next generation. And if we have anarchist spaces, then things can actually happen. Not us personally necessarily being involved, but strangers and future generations. And that's, I think, the difference between the UK and the US with mainland Europe. Mainland Europe, they have a over 100-year history of occupying places, fighting the cops and winning. And obviously it comes and goes 30 years later. Maybe the, 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 the movement is smaller and the cops come in and shut down the space or whatever. But it's that aspect of like doing shit illegally, collectively and fighting. Yeah, the cops, are, the cops are the class traders. They preserve disorder. They are agents of the ruling class. I just want to yeah. say a couple of things real quick. We got less than two minutes here. Let's finish yeah. up. I, I'd love to do this again. I, I really enjoyed myself. This was great. The, the time goes by so fast, uh, but I like to yeah. kind of keep it short now. I'm trying to stick to about an hour. I really want to say, though, I love your electronic rap kind of fusion. Very cool genre of music. Uh, I've been hearing more of this kind of genre come out, uh, I, and I haven't heard any with the class solidarity themes that uh, you have. So very cool. Keep up the awesome work. we got a minute, minute and a half or so. Go ahead, and if you want to promote anything, any shows, where can people find you? Go ahead. The stage is yours. All right. Well, yeah, well, our album Gen Pop, um, talking about Gen Pop, Gen Population, uh, how the system creates poverty and criminalizes us for it. Huh? 
Yeah, and um, basically we're going to be playing all over the next year, everywhere. Hopefully even in the States, we're going to try and work on some stuff for maybe late summer or something like this. Um, but meanwhile in Europe, we'll be playing everywhere and we have this new album out that's still available on vinyl. Uh, you can check us out at Bandcamp, DVM, or even Drowning Dog and Malatesta.com. Buy our product. <laughs> awesome. It, it was really fun. I really appreciate it. I'd love to stay in touch. I really appreciate yeah. the, 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 uh, the theme song. Awesome music. Again, keep up the great work. Um, I wish you luck in all your endeavors. I'm hopefully, you know, a couple people listening are going to go and check out your work. You do great stuff. Let's stay in touch and let's catch up again sometime soon, okay? Yeah, let's, let's definitely. All right. Thanks for having let's us. Thanks again. for your time. And uh, if you're ever around this way, holla. Solidarity. All right, Solidarity man. forever. Take care. Thank you. Necessary Illusions. I also want to thank my special guests, the musical duo Drowning Dog and Malatesta, for a great discussion on politics, solidarity, mutual aid, and class consciousness. They are also responsible for the theme music of this podcast. Check out their most recent album, Gen Pop, and their website for more information on upcoming shows and dates. Again, I am your host, MC Squared, no gods, no masters, I'm out.
Science in a whole 